Hello. I'm, I'm pausing. <laughs> Sorry, but it's like normally, you know, we're properly recorded. So yeah. Normally, I try and interrupt you just as you're doing that, just to annoy you. Yeah. Um, to make yeah. you start again. <laughs> You've nailed it. <laughs> the good thing is I can cut anything off the front because that doesn't matter. Like, that's not the live show, really. We still haven't begun yet, really. Right. Even okay. though I can see my voice recording, but once I start introing, if you then. Or I then mess it up. That's staying in. I'm not yeah. going to edit the middle. Okay. This time, we don't need to clap again. You're still recording, right? I'm still recording, yes. All of this gold dust, yeah. <laughs> I did a really tight schedule for what we were going to talk about. Um, but we're already five minutes in and we, we haven't even done the introduction. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cool. Hit me. Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. We're sometimes fortnightly, we're sometimes monthly. I'm your host, Frank, and tonight I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing good. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost as good as doing one in the, in person. Yeah, I mean, you know, sealing ourselves off behind... Uh, closed doors and talking without anyone listening live that's all right right yeah absolutely yes sorry i'm fiddling with all my audio settings now oh as you do (laughs) so like like a real pro (laughs) for a usual listener you might be thinking why have they left in all this stuff about peter fiddling with his audio settings which i'd never normally leave in and that's because we're actually recording this episode with a bunch of patrons also listening to us as we record And this episode is going to go out pretty much unedited. I'm not going to work through it, remove all of the vocal infelicities that normally end up in there. I'm just chucking this out because we wanted to, in these somewhat strange times, invite people to join us as we record. And what we're going to plan to do during this episode is also take some questions from patrons through the episode live so they can respond to us in real time if they want to. We have to Does scoop them out right? of the, the stream of abuse <laughs> from the channel. <laughs> Who are these two noobs? What are they talking about? Yeah, exactly. Um, so have I covered, I think, everything about how this is going to work? Um, sorry, someone just asked, what is your favourite investigator? <laughs> we'll have to come to that later. Yeah. <laughs> the, the best question. The best question. Yeah. Where do you get your ideas Very from? Good. Where do you get your ideas from? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so why, Peter, are we doing a live episode? Uh, oh, I'd written this down to ask you. <laughs> um, well, we've sort of been talking about doing some kind of live hangout for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think really the last few weeks, uh, if I'm going to be serious made me appreciate the value of the communities we're in uh, mm. so it's really good to do things that feedback to those communities and do something special for those communities um yeah i that, that's the long and the short of it really i mean did you have any particular reason you wanted to do this i think ex- exactly the same reason about always appreciating our discord and our patrons i think every day i think ah oh, someone said something cool or this is a really good community to be a part of and I wanted to give a little bit more back to people, if that doesn't sound too soppy. So, yeah, yeah it's, you know, I think... inviting people to kind of gather together to listen and 
enjoy what we do. Absolutely. I think, you know, there's, it is a serious time and I don't want to bring the tone down. Um, but I think, you know, maybe we give people a little bit of whimsy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, in between like, the serious hot takes, obviously. In the serious yeah. takes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Just that touch yeah, of whimsy. Sure. I think I think that, that, that is important. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I'd say one of the things I think I've always been attracted to about podcasts is exactly that, that it can be this little protected space that maybe takes you to a headspace different from the rest of your life. And you can kind of indulge in a hobby or a passion or listening to you know people talk about sport or whatever it is you can have that little space in your day that's sort of adjacent to what else you're doing so yeah so i think we just wanted to share that a little bit with our patrons and if you're listening to this and you're not a patron thanks for listening as well and supporting the cast maybe one day you'll become a patron even if you don't we're really grateful and we really hope you appreciate everything we put out there we've been really loving it's three years now peter that we've been doing i know i know I was actually going to say some some other serious podcast stuff as well because what what's weird is that these episodes typically are a conversation between you and I, right? Yeah. And I think one of the appeals of podcasting for a lot of people is that you feel a part of the conversation. You know, mm. it can be something just going on in the background. Sometimes it's like company. Um, yeah. You know, you're yeah. doing something else, um, even if what we're saying isn't particularly um, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. All of those times that you yell at your podcast device when you're disagreeing with the hosts. <laughs> yeah. That's engagement. That counts. So this is a surreal experience in a way because I know there's people listening. I feel the weight of the audience on the other end of the, the internet cable. Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to Judging me. Out, <laughs> you blank yeah. them out. Okay, cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. And we've also, just for people who are wondering, been doing other things during this time of lockdown that are maybe slightly more unusual drawn to the flame related things. So the first one I wanted to do a shout out to was one of our patrons, Brownloaf, who has just run a game of Eldritch Horror, an eight player game using our server as the hub. He's kept it on his table and then every day he's sent people pictures of their player boards and, and done a little video of where we're at in the game and basically encouraged people to play with him. Obviously, Eldritch Horror is great in person, everyone's sitting together, but he's managed to do over about three weeks this massive game of Eldritch Horror, and it's just been a really cool way of playing a game that's not about carving out four hours in an evening. It's just been, yeah, this sort of like play-by-post thing. I know there are loads of other places that can do that, but awesome for someone to step up to the mark and run it in our community, and hopefully there'll be more of that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, there's, oh, it, was, there's been... it was a fantastic game that as well, actually. <laughs> yeah, particularly for you. I, yeah. had, I had the best game. <laughs> I think yeah. I bought all of the things uh, as Preston, and that's what I want to do. I said right at the beginning, whoever buys the most things wins, and I, I think more than everyone else put together, probably. <laughs> whoever buys and loses and then rebuys the most things <laughs> wins. Yeah. You enjoyed it so much that it inspired us to play as the characters we were playing in Eldritch Horror, in Arkham, we came yeah. together to play a scenario. I was playing Zoe, you were playing Preston, so we were like, let's give that duo a role. They could yeah. be fun. This yeah. thing, this, I think it's quite an appealing team. I don't know why. Um, it just seemed like a nice nice combination of characters, foibles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And maybe we should also mention the film club. Yeah, I'm very happy to do that. So mm-hmm. I set this up, um, I guess, 
what's the word, serendipitously, just turned out to be a good time to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we do is we get together again on on the Discord, although I put a thread up on the Facebook as well. We all synchronise our watches and start watching the film at the same time with a little reel of trailers beforehand to give us that proper cinema experience. Mm, and then just chat, chat through the film. Um, yeah. or, or you can just watch the film and then dip into the chat afterwards and for, for a wrap-up if you want to focus on what's happening. Um, yeah, so I started that. It was, it's six weeks ago now because we've just had the third one and it's every two weeks. If you want to join in, you know, drop into the Movie Night channel. I put the stuff on the Facebook as well. Um, I think the next one is... Uh, what's the date? Two weeks from Thursday? Whatever that is. <laughs> um, and, in April, and it's it's a it's a the one we just watched was the Endless, which is suggested by another one of our patrons, sixty ten. Mm, I love that. that. I thought that it was, was really great. good. It was it was yeah. a leg- legitimately good film. The next yeah. one is Event Horizon, which everyone has fond memories of. Um, mm. It's a it's a very silly film. It's a fun uh, space film. It's a fun space film. A nice casual <laughs> romp. <laughs> yeah. April the twenty third. Someone in the in our chat is pointing out. Thanks, JP. That's useful. So let's take a, a question from the chat. Why don't we, while we're here? Yes. If you said I you had scroll... a couple. You said you had a couple ready, right? Yeah, I have a couple ready. So this is a starting one. This is from Perida. Hi, Perida. What is your favourite Lovecraft story? And is reading mythos fiction something you enjoy as a hobby? Are you asking that to me? I am asking that to you. It would be a bit weird okay. if I read it to myself, Peter, and then it's a bit. Well, someone's got to read it. Um... <laughs> I've got a few, you know, it's 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 increasingly difficult to read them um, divorced from the the kind of the problematic overtones of of Lovecraft's work, mm. um, and the, the number where it's you know the, the themes aren't somehow xenophobic are kind of uh, vanishingly small. Um, I, I like the color out of space. Really like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the rats in the walls, but be- that's kind of because there's a bit of a local connection because Exum Priory, which is where the guy, um, that's his house he goes back to. Uh, apparently, um, Lovecraft took the name from Hexham, which is near where I I grew up oh, okay. in the northeast. Okay, that's cool. Uh, but probably my favourite would be the the um, <laughs> he said the Innsmouth conspiracy, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the shadow over Innsmouth. Yeah, um, which. I just, I, I love the, there's a couple of really good scenes in that. Um, the escape, often the way he writes is like somehow one step divorced from the actual action happening. Mm. So it's people interviewing someone else after the case. You know what I mean? Or it's like someone's reading a report of something that happened. Yes. And yeah. I, The Innsmouth Conspiracy is kind of written like that, right? It's, it's written as his <laughs> account of something that happened. Yeah. Shadow of Innsmouth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there is some really... that the, the chase scene, I think, is one of his best sequences that he's done. Mm, yeah. I mean, I think you're, it's one of the hallmarks of Lovecraftian fiction, isn't it? That kind of the, the layers upon layers. This was a report I found in an old case file that was written by... You know, it sort of add these layers to kind of give you both that distance and that unreliability, I think. Mm, yeah. Which is sort of sort of strange. I've just actually been rereading The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, fittingly for The Dream Eaters, and I've been reading it through most of playing The Dream Eaters because it's huge. I mean, it's like, it is a sort of short novel, I would suppose, or at least a novella. And it it is 
such a strange beast <laughs> and such a weird thing to work through. And the number of times I've wanted to just take a screenshot of a paragraph and send it to you because his language is just ornate, elaborate, strange. What's our favourite <laughs> thing? The, the pearls? Oh, pearls in vinegar from Thra or something yeah, like that. Pearls yeah, pearls dissolved in and that's a delicacy. <laughs> yeah, you know, stuff like that is just... He was properly off on one. I think before LSD existed, it just seems <laughs> so fantastical and strange. And yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed that. I have found that hard going getting through it. I sort of read a couple of pages at a time and then think, okay, yeah, I'll carry this on later. But I've enjoyed it as well. So yeah, I, I read Lovecraft too to answer the question. I, I, and I must admit, I don't read a huge amount these days. Just like, full stop. Yeah, I, I, um, I just... I much prefer, uh, I got into Audible a little while ago, so I tend mm -hmm. to get a lot of books on audio, so I just listen to them on the train and while I'm working and stuff like that. Yeah, that counts, I think. I think that counts as reading in air quotes, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> reading for idiots. Shall we jump into an uh, Arkham LCG topic? Oh yeah, God, that's what we do, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you want to go to first? We've got a few different things lined up. Uh, well, we had the kind of, hmm, what do, what do you want to do, Frank? I, I mean, we've spent well, we seven, can, we... 17 minutes kind of talking about nothing, so should we get through something <laughs> a bit meatier? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Um, well, uh, well that, should we flash back to about, what, a week, a week ago? Mm -hmm. And on a dark and windswept night, I get a call from Frank <laughs> saying, please, Peter, I'm, I've made this Dexter deck. Mm. And I want someone to okay. look at it. I was wondering where you get. I've called you so many times on Dark and Winter <laughs> Nights. I was wondering which occasion you were referring to. So that's good. Yeah. So just recently, the deck building for Dexter got announced. I think I think Dexter's come out in some places. So people have revealed then the deck building for Dexter. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll start having a think about how to build a Dexter deck. And I mean, rewind quite a while ago you and I were hypothesizing about what Dexter's deck building might be. And yeah. we both had suggested that there might be rogue access in there. And just for everyone, a peek behind the scenes. Uh, earlier today, when we were testing the audio, Frank and I spent about 10 minutes trying to, to come up with a Dexter deck pun around his deck building requirements. Yeah. We didn't deck 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 building requirements. Dexter building, yeah. Dextrospective, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> what is that? I don't understand that. Yeah, I'll explain that to me. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so if you don't know, then Dexter has uh, Mystic zero to five and Rogue zero to two. So it's like the corset split, a 5-2, a classic, but it's a combination we've not seen before. And it's also then the inverse of Sephina, who is Rogue 0-5, Mystic 0-2. So it's a nice little mixture. Uh, yes. I think it's a quite a cool combination. It got me kind of thinking. And as we've already said, you know, bang that drum, the investigator is the unit of deck building or it has the biggest influence on deck building. So for Dexter... That means, uh, you know, what he can do feels so different to what Seth can do that anyway he's going to kind of shake up 
how deck building works and and that kind of thing. So I had just jumped together and made a list which I sent over to you. Oh, yep. I should have saved that message you sent me back. <laughs> yes, the most positive thing you've ever said to me, Peter. What, what and I'm also this? going to p- put the list <laughs> list in chat as well. The, 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 the chat is just chat. full of people trying to make dexter puns now. <laughs> Manual dexterity is pretty good. Yeah, dexter yeah. specs, top dextering ambidextrous this is all very good yeah yeah <laughs> oh no i think i'm gonna sneeze this is a this is live post- oh, podcasting <laughs> you're gonna have to mute yeah i know yeah. no i think it's gone i think it's gone it might rush up on me at some point in the future so okay yes so you, you've sent that deck to the chat right yeah okay so it i think it's interesting um it, we'd sort of hypothesized that he might be the five two, um, um, mystic, rogue. <laughs> That's the words I'm looking for. Okay. Uh, but it's nice to have that confirmed, uh, mm-hmm. and it gives him a really different flavor to Sephina because those like willpower boosts and the more powerful spell effects start to come in at the higher experience. Mm-hmm. As we can see, when you play like Norman, he becomes a lot more powerful later on once you splash that experience around. But Sephina yeah, I- finds it much more difficult to get there, right? Exactly. The excitement of, like, oh, I'll do a really high willpower Sephina. You then start adding XP, but you can't add in any of the more powerful spells beyond level two, so it kind of gets stuck. Whereas with Dexter, if you really want to lean into that, he can go all the way. He can run Shriveling 5 or Rite of Seeking 4 or whatever it is. You can kind of pile all of that stuff in, which is one of the appeals of playing a Mystic, that you go really spell-heavy and become sort of all-powerful. And I actually ended up making a second version of this list, which was much more spell heavy. So this first list was just throwing in things that interact with his ability. So his ability is, as a free trigger during your turn, discard an asset you control, play an asset with a different title from your hand, reducing its cost by one, limit once per round. So you get a free play action a turn at a discount, which is also similar to Norman, right? You get that little discount, but the caveat here is that there needs to be an asset in play that you're getting rid of. Yes. So, yeah, it's a little bit like prestidigitation, isn't it, where there are different things coming in and out of view for the other people watching, for the audience, and you're kind of messing with that stuff and switching things out. Yes, and again, weirdly, like the reverse of Seth, who wants to be playing lots of events rather than assets. Dexter kind of wants to be playing assets and then trading them up to more expensive assets. Yeah, exactly. So where did your head go to in terms of sort of fun trade-ups? Were the things that jumped out to you as immediate cool things? Are we talking about from your list or just in general? Just in in general, in general. Okay, well, I mean, spells is obvious. If you can get a cheap spell, you can trade Mm -hmm. the cheap spell up and turn it into something more expensive. So like yeah. a, uh, once it's run out of charges, or just use, you know, once you've used up a shriveling, use it to play a second shriveling for cheaper. That yeah. kind of stuff. But I think also... You obviously couldn't play the second shriveling from the shriveling because it has to be a different title. Oh, right, okay. I'd but forgotten you could. that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but you could do something where you switch one shriveling into something else in the meantime and then switch that into your new shriveling like over two turns. Yes, That's not a bad thing. Or go from I my my thinking would be to go from cheap assets to more expensive assets, and mm-hmm. the cheap assets help you set up, and then the more expensive assets are your like kind of end game board state. Mm. I think yeah. a good example is Lone Wolf. 
Yeah. Which I think you could play, or you'd like to play early on. And then later on in the game... Uh, so, the, yeah, the free action includes the action to play. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, after four or five turns have gone past and you're ready for more spells or whatever, you, you sacrifice the lone wolf and bring in, like, a whatever kind of spell you want. Yeah. It's worth noting that the, the you can play it without the action, so you don't... That's not an attack of opportunity, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you can keep shriveling in hand and then drop it when you need to. Yes. Well, did you want to go over the deck you sent me? And then you can... We can talk about why I thought it wasn't very wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so uh, it's asset heavy. It's got two derringers, two flashlights, two shriveling, two six cents. It's got two holy rosary and two lucky cigarette case. So the accessory slot's pretty busy. But as is the ally slot, which has two arcane initiate, two Gregory Gry, and one Molly Maxwell. That's the replacement signature for Dexter. And it's also got two lone wolf. Then skills, it's just got two quick thinking, and it's got ten events, ethereal form, read the signs, spectral razor, water protection, and two sleight of hand. So that's the list. It was, um, one of the questions in chat, it was uh, intended probably for solo, uh, being able to turn its hand to everything, but uh, I hadn't thought too much about it. I just sort of thought, let's start throwing cards in and see where I get to. Yeah. So, yeah. That's the list. Of that list, some of the things you might want to sub out fairly early on, I thought you could drop a flashlight early, do some quick investigating, and then trade that up into a bigger spell or something else. Likewise, Arcane Initiate. You could play Arcane Initiate for one, get some spells over the first couple of turns, and do exactly as you described. And then also Lone Wolf does a similar thing where you get some early resources and then trade it out. So, yeah. Yes, I think, and, and Gregory Gregory Gry as well, he comes in and play with a certain number of resources, so you can aggressively mm-hmm. use him early on and then yeah. trade him up into something more useful later. Yeah, there's obviously a lot of competition around the ally slot and the accessory slot, so I'm imagining maybe just doing a bit of kind of jiggery-pokery of trading things in and out and doing lots of hand gestures, which obviously don't work well <laughs> in the podcast. Not, no. But so, you could be doing playful things like that. Yes. Well, I, I think what I said was that... I'm, I'm trying to think back now to what advice I gave when I looked at this deck. I think you can be more aggressive with your arcane slot, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're trading stuff in and out of that slot. Because I think you'd yep. put in... Uh, you've In your updated deck, you've left in the cards I was just looking at. Um, But potentially, I think you could put your evasion into your arcane slot as well mm-hmm. yeah and then just trade that out if you've got a lot of enemies for one of the spells that's in there maybe yeah so what i did after we talked a little bit is i went away and built another deck which i've also posted in chat and this was where i was leaning much more heavily into spells and thinking oh actually maybe i've put too many different ideas going on here like the sleight of hand derringer thing does that really work do, do I want that to happen? So I just started to lean more heavily into piling in the arcane slot, not worrying about hands. And then also I added in some cheeky things like Forbidden Knowledge and Liquid Courage, because they're cheap assets that will also feed into exactly what you described, that idea of start cheap and transition to expensive. Yes. Which I think is really good. The Forbidden Knowledge is the card that really sprang to mind first for me with him, mm-hmm. because it's it's just pure efficiency at that point you're trading your your card 
So you, an action to play the card, you can potentially take, even if you've taken a couple of resources off it, then becomes a free action and um, uh, a free resource for mm. another uh, another asset. So yeah. trade it straight up into a spell for some um, just tempo. It's good tempo. I like it. I think it's good. And then, of course, you can use your liquid courage to heal the horror you've taken. Yeah, absolutely. So I th- I thought liquid courage played really nicely then into for- forbidden knowledge as well, that you could use a couple of liquid courage charges, heal back some horror. Maybe you've taken some horror from shriveling and then liquid courage. One of the downsides of playing that card is it takes an action to play and an action each time you want to use it. But in this instance, you can then just chomp it up and move straight on. And yeah, yeah, you could do you're, like you're good and, to go. You know, you could consider it if you had another a spell in hand that you wanted to play or an asset in hand you wanted to play. You could do play Liquid Courage, use it, get rid of Courage to play the other card straight in, mm-hmm. and then you've taken what two actions to heal two horror and play an asset. Yeah, it's really nice. Which I think it's is really nice. nice. Yeah. Dexter also reminds me a little bit of the Robes of Endless Night, which is one of the starter deck cards for Jacqueline Fine we've seen announced. And that idea of solo mystics now getting more options to protect themselves so that they can keep spells in hand and then use them when they need to. You know, anyone who's played the game for quite a long time, that's obviously one of the challenges for a solo mystic is how do you deal with an early enemy? And either you're running weapons from your off-glass if you have one, or you're hoping that you've got some kind of evasion in hand or whatever it is. And I love that Dexter and the robes allow you to kind of keep that back. Again, it's a tempo thing. You don't need to invest in getting that built up and you can play more aggressively, basically. And then when you need to drop the card you need, as long as you have a single asset down for Dexter, that means every other asset in your hand is basically online should you need it. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's really good. It's a really astute point, that. So, yeah. Um, I mean, there's a whole different way we could go with Dexter around using Rogue Economy to get really rich, and I've not really explored that. But I thought just thinking of him as a really powerful mystic who can set up and tech really easily is, yeah, that's kind of exciting to me. I do kind of feel that when I've reflected on investigators that have a wide access to a different class, typically they work better uh in the main class, with the majority of the cards from the main class, mm. I, I I don't know why. I found like with Seth, she does work better with a lot of those rogue events, lovely rogue events pulled into her, rather mm-hmm. than concentrating as much on the mystic side of her. Mm. Yeah, you might go all the way back to Roland. You can build a gold <laughs> Roland, a old book of law. <laughs> yeah, but that's your go-to story. Of <laughs> yeah, how it doesn't work. Don't play yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, but I've just drawn. It looks good. No, no, don't. Just don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perida asks in the chat: Is sign magic worth it? It it could well be worth it if you're doing loads of juggling. It's also fast, so it means you can throw it down uh, without an action, and then turn it actionlessly into another asset. So at that point, the the like the upfront cost for getting set up is very low. Um, if you're really rich, sign magic seems to be worth it as well because it's three cost. It's not to be sniffed at. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I pulled you away from your point about main, you know, five two investigators. No, I, I think that was about all interesting I had to say on the subject. 
Sorry. Okay. No, that's what, that's quite all right. Uh, here's another question that we had earlier for Go you on, now, Peter. Um, now that there are player starter decks coming to Arkham Horror, what would you guys suggest as a way to enter the game as there are so many things already available? How would you enter the game as a new player? Oh, man, it's a tough one, right? Um, mm. was that the, is that the second That's can? The sound of the second, <laughs> the second can, yeah. yes. <laughs> to be a frank. <laughs> Twice 0% is still 0%. <laughs> yeah. Um, good question, Frank. And who asked that question? Uh, JP, Northern Lights over Arkham. So, yes. There... I should have I should have prepared an answer to this really. You're just getting a long you're getting me filling while I think of an answer. Good, good filling. Good <laughs> Is filling. It good filling. Yeah. Okay, good. Um yes, I think they're good. I think they work better if you're trying to join a community or a group already in process. Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like oh, all my friends have got the scenarios. It, at the end of the day, someone still needs to buy the scenarios for you to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think they could be a good thing to buy after the core set or alongside the deluxe for new players. I feel like the core set has still got to be the entryway. Mm, yeah, just for the tokens and for the chaos bag and the introductory scenario of the gathering, right? It's, yes. that's That's got to be the way in. But I'd potentially, be, be... instead of the second core set being the first thing you buy, you could say, well, pick up the, the starter deck for the the investigator you like the most. Mm. Maybe. That feels like a much easier investment than, oh, if you want to get into this game, buy a core set, buy Dunwich, and buy these six Mythos packs. Like that is, you know, if you're just saying, buy the core set and you want a few more cards, oh, you really like the look of this boxer, include him in your purchase. I could see someone walking out of a shop with a core set and one starter deck in the way that probably they're not going to do that with Mythos Packs. It's it's kind of tricky, though. I mean, I speaking from my own experience, I have got into games before that were well into their lifespan, and I've been very resistant at buying everything. Yeah. So I never bought all of Netrunner. I sort of just about caught up and then fell behind and never caught up again. Oh, I bought And when all. I played Lord of the Rings, <laughs> Lord of the Rings was... Um, four cycles in when I got into it, maybe three cycles in, and I bought a cycle. So yeah. I bought, yeah, um, core set and a cycle. And Lord of the Rings, if you wanted a full play set of the cards in the core set, you needed to buy three core sets, and I only ever bought one. I kind of, I didn't fall in love with the game to such a degree that I was desperate to to really commit. And that always kept me slightly at arm's length with the game as well. You know, I never quite got into the online community as much or things like that. So, so yeah, it kind of it kind of held me back a bit, I suppose. And I'd be interested to see if we maybe get more players who are kind of casual Arkham players who have a core set and a starter deck, and maybe they don't want to invest in all the cycles, or maybe they only invest in one cycle. And but that's a real shame then, because they don't have the additional stories to play through. You know yeah, I mean? and maybe maybe they're playing with groups that do have them, but they just then feel the need not to. You know, I I think it's a shame as well. Of course, I love this game, but yeah, maybe that's maybe that's we'll just see more players. There'll be all the players like us who have lots of things, and then there'll be other players who have a deck that they can play. They're like, oh, my local group's running another campaign. I can bring my deck that has all the XP, 
and I can at least be a part of that. Yeah, that's yeah, there possible. is that. Yeah, so you could join in with the one person who has bought everything. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Um, John asks, "Do you think we'll ever see a second edition of the core set, which contains two of each card and has more expansion space, like the Marvel Champions core set?" I mean, if you asked me before Marvel Champions, I would have said I'd be very surprised to see that. Um, I think Marvel Champions, I, I was excited to see that they changed the way it works, that you just bought one set, even if it was literally twice the price. Um, mm, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Like, I, people have often suggested in every single LCG, could you, would, would they ever sell like a top-up set? Mm. And they've never done anything like that. And there's no need no. to because the games sell enough without them having to do it. Yeah. Um, but they've done the starter sets now, which is something I never thought they'd do. So who knows? What do you think? I think that the starter sets is a really neat way of them getting around the one, two, three core set problem. Yeah. Because they say, oh, look, we're not we're not releasing a core 2.0 or a core booster or whatever you want to call it. But if you're really not wanting to invest in two core sets, buy one of these things. You know, and, and even among our patrons, not everyone has two core sets. And that's not, it's not, it's not like a class system. You're not a, a upper class or lower class based on how many core sets you have. People don't necessarily buy two. I think the majority of players of the game have bought two, which confirms for FFG that they don't need to add a booster. Yeah. Because the majority of players do that. I guess the other question then is, would they ever do a a cycle divorced from the player cards mm, yeah to almost go alongside the starter decks so you all each buy a starter deck and then you buy this here's effectively a cycle maybe across one big pack mm, or two smaller really packs cool. I'm not yeah. sure something like that if you would, if you John, were doing John was some... about to ask the same question <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just well saying. and imagine you did that and it was a four scenario thing that would be the perfect product if it was a standalone box that was just scenarios to also do some kind of legacy thing as well. If you had stickers or things in that, if they wanted to bring that into the game, it yeah. would be a standalone product that people could say, we're going to do this legacy experience like they did in Netrunner. Oh man, but I was so disappointed with that Netrunner box set. Mm, me too, me too. Um, the, the player cards were fine and, and I really liked the idea, but it just didn't fit well at all. Mm. Yeah, I mean... And one of the issues with it, it was this narrative thing that was also competitive in a competitive card game and the cards had to be usable in the competitive environment and there were all sorts of challenges in the way that in Arkham they could maybe do it as a very self-contained thing and you could buy it and play it if you wanted to or not. You know, they don't. It doesn't need to be applicable to every other card, does it? If yeah. It's just scenarios. I've had a lot more success doing... Um, uh, uh, thematic decks that work well in Arkham than I ever did in Netrunner. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know whether just that's something about the way the cards work or something like that. Um, mm. It's easier to build a narrative I was actually looking at a deck, deck today. I was looking at a deck today that reading about it, I was thinking this includes none of the cards I would include to do the thing that the person is describing in the write-up. <laughs> right. But in their write-up, they were saying that they were doing the things that they wanted it to do. So right. I was like, hang on, how are they going to do this? 
but they have done it. So, okay, you know, like, who am I to judge? I, I would have gone about it in a different way, but if they've done it, so be it. Anyway, I wanted us to lead to starter decks. We've been a little bit uh, sidetracked because we also have some new cards to announce. Yay! And so we're going to announce two cards now live on the cast. Yes. Well, I have to do those. I have to put them on the Facebook page as well. So I might mute myself and just put them up onto the Facebook page. But I'll put them in the chat as okay. well. But it's just we're not we're not we're not just sneaking them out to our patrons. <laughs> no, 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 no. They're going out to everyone. Going out to everyone. Yeah. So I'm just gonna. Can you can you fill? Can I tell you what? Someone ask Frank yeah. a question, and I'll mute myself. Okay. Well, do you want me to start reading the first card? No, I think someone should ask you a question because it'd be quite funny. Okay, cool. If someone has a question for me while Peter is doing his social media duties, I'm ready to answer it. <laughs> I've been asked, what's Peter's favourite investigator? Mm. Peter's favourite investigator is... Oh, I was going to say Preston, but it's got to be Daisy. I'm pretty sure it's Daisy. I'd be really surprised if he said it was anyone else. Although he also really likes Agnes, Zoe. He's very limited, actually, in his tastes. What's for breakfast tomorrow, asks Doobies. Uh For me, probably a little bit of porridge if I've gone for a run or nothing. What is your favourite colour of cat and why is it black? I am actually very fond of black cats. I'm also very fond of tortoiseshell cats. I think they're really sweet. Um, Brownlove asks, what do I really think about Peter? He's muted his mic, but he can still hear me, Glyn, so I'm not going to answer that. Um do I ever play expert? I have played a small amount of expert, mainly as a joke, and it was very fun. I, I do still want to go back and maybe with a group and really plan on how we take apart an expert campaign, because there have been certain times when I've just thought, yeah, we can handle this. But the swinginess of expert is kind of punishing. I think I'd also add to that if you've made the move from standard to hard, I don't think the jump from hard to expert is as scary because once you've got used to the hard token effects and the price of failure, which is obviously one of the most punishing things about drawing a negative token in expert or hard, that then you're like once you're in that realm, it's just that there are a few more essentially auto fails in the bag, although they're not auto fails. Uh, in terms of investigators, I've played the least and why? Hmm. I'm I. I mean, there's there's probably a whole bunch sort of languishing. I think I've played everyone. I don't think I've ever played Rita solo, which is strange. I even had a time when I had a Rita solo deck sitting on my desk. Maybe I've played her through Knight of the Zealot, but not through a, a longer campaign. But yeah, may, maybe Rita. I've definitely played her in a multiplayer campaign. I'm back. I'm back. You're back. The next question I was just about to read was Roland Banks episode when? Who's Roland Banks and why should we do an episode about him? Yeah. Who's this guy? Right. So yeah. Okay. It's here exciting. we go. I'm reading the first card. Well, I'll tell you so what. Could... Hang on. So I'm, I'm putting them both up on the Facebook now, okay. um, but I'm going to put them one at a time in the chat so people don't get sidetracked talking about the, cool. um, the other one. And I'll be putting the first one in the chat. So if, if you're really excited in the chat and you want to see them both, go to our Facebook page in about 10 seconds. Um, well, otherwise, okay. just stick, stick with us. This is, uh, this is the most complicated thing I've had to do in a while. Okay. So the cool thing about this first card is don't be tricked by its colour. It looks red, 
but it's not red. It is a signature card, and this is Stella Clark's signature card, neither rain nor slow. So she gets three copies of this in her deck. It's a, a skill card with no pips because it's a signature card. It has three wild icons. It's innate and developed. It's her deck only, and it says, if this skill test fails, cancel all effects of the failed test. Nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. Yeah, you heard it right. She gets three copies of this. So Stella, if you can remember, she has a 3-2-3-4 stat line. She's got eight health and eight sanity, and she has a reaction that when she fails a test, she gets an extra action. So she really wants to lean into failure tech. Of course, one of the challenges with that is that there might be times when you just need to pass tests. And if you've built your whole deck around failure, it can become really tricky if you're suddenly like, uh, actually, I just really need to pass this test. That's where lucky can be great, that you kind of undershoot a test and still pass. And she also has three copies of this card that make her an effective stat line 6567, which is insane. Yes. So that's really nice. Uh, yeah, Peter, what do you make of this card? It, I, you know, it's weird. It could almost have no pips and it would still... Uh, sorry, well, icons. And yeah. it would still almost be good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. if we, of the cards we've seen of Stella, is it um, Quick Learner? That really weird one? Yeah. Um, you could do some like weird build where in the mythos phase, you you know use drawing thin. You have quick learner. You stick this in the test. You stick take. Hang on, no. Does it ignore? What does it say? What does it say? If the test oh, you fails, don't want to put take art in. Right. Yeah. But you do that, and then you build up your stats, and you you fail the test. Fine. That's the failure out of the way. So that gives you an extra action. Mm-hmm. Does she get an extra action if she fails in the mythos phase? She does, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Until the end of the round. She and then an Quick Learner is like, just still still good. I, just, I yeah. think it's a really, really good card. It's great for sticking into those really difficult tests that mm. you know you're not going to pass as well. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said this could have no icons and it would still be good. Because I think this is actually two different cards. This is the card you commit when you really need to smash a test because it gives you plus three. And it's the card you commit when you really don't want to be punished by a test. And knowing which is which can be the challenge, I think. Because if I chuck in a plus three and then I fail, I'm thinking, well, why did I bother putting a plus three in? So I I almost want to know before the test, like this is going to be a test I'm failing. I can't take two more damage or whatever it is. So I'm putting neither rain nor snow in to save me. Or on the other side, you're like, oh, I'm one up. I want to really make this a surefire test. I'm going to put another three in. Yes. So yeah, that's that. Like when I first was looking at it, I was like, "Oh yeah, I really like this." You know, you know, like that worst situation when you throw a take heart into a test, you think you're going to fail, and yes, then you and pass, then you, and then you know you put. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like this this card is playing with that exact same space for me. Yeah, I want to put it in to pass or put it in to fail, and I'd quite like to know which I'm getting. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, there's a few thoughts from the chat here, so. Um... Uh, first of all, just a couple of rules questions. Will mm. it cancel Stella's ability? Mm. My, my I think her ability no- is a reaction. Exactly. And yeah, th- this would apply to other stuff which triggers off a test failing. So like, yeah. look what I found. You can still yeah. play that, right? Because you failed the test by whatever amount. 
And then yes, and, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, someone's oh, someone's saying it will cancel retaliate and alert as well because they're an effect from a, from a failed test. Oh, that's a really good question. I would guess so. Yeah, I would guess so. But I have to check. Glyn has just pointed out as well. Uh, resourceful. Ah, well. Okay, he's asked, can Resourceful bring it back? Because it is a survivor card. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My belief is, yes, it can. And I know that Doovies early in the chat said, what are our thoughts on the new signatures being class and not neutral? And I think it's purely to make things simple for new players that you open an investigator starter deck. All of the cards are red because it's a stellar deck apart from your two weaknesses. So you can sort of make sense of them but it does inadvertently mean that resourceful could pick this back because this is a survivor card yeah. um worth noting it has no level because it has the pips have been blanked out so you can't get it back with scrounge for supplies because okay. it's not a level zero card um, but anything that allowed you to get a card back from your discard pile would let you get back this and anything that focuses on survivor cards yeah i think it my, my headline thought would be that it's the perfect card, the perfect signature card for Stella because it works mm -hmm. so well with her. I can my, my mind's like just expanding. I'm I'm gesturing at my mind expanding. It. <laughs> I've got my no. hands on my head and then I'm throwing them out side to side. Nice and nice. perfect image. Thank you. Just how much cool interactions you could have uh, playing Stella. And imagine you hand this to a new player as well and you say, look, you need to learn to fail tests. Like, you need to tank some tests here. And they think, oh, but don't bad things happen? And you say, yeah, 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 they do. But Stella also has these three cards in her deck and you show them neither rain nor snow. And you can put this card in if you want and it gets rid of all the bad things of tests failing. I think that would be really nice. Like, as just as a teaching device to say this works as a thing, people will like so yeah, so really cool card. Obviously, we don't need to talk about other investigators that can run it because it's only Stella. You get three copies in the deck, which is really cool. And yeah, I think it's a really nice design. Really Just nice. A, a final thought. It's fun to compare yeah, to self-sacrifice. Mm, okay. Which is which is the flip of this card? Self-sacrifice is if the if you am I thinking of the right card? If you fail the test, the guardian or whoever's committed to self-sacrifice. Uh, yeah. they get the, the effects of failure instead. Mm, yeah, they take it on the chin, right? Yeah, yeah. and I thought that's that's a, a nice flip of neither rain nor snow. So a guardian mm. takes it for you, a survivor just doesn't care about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in terms of theme as well, actually, just that idea that she can just push through the kinds of things that would stop other investigators in their tracks, it works really nicely. Yeah. Sometimes she's using it to smash a test, but other times she's just using it to keep through you know even those tests in Essex that stop you moving like being able to avoid getting punished by some of those really nasty scenario specific treacheries that you know do the thing you don't want to happen yeah and really you know good. if nothing else you just got three copies of three willpower a uh, three wild icon skill cards in your deck yeah that's not terrible really good yeah, it's really good, really good. You come to the end of a scenario and you don't need to do anything, but your guardian is desperately trying to land a hit. Like, chucking those out gently towards them, it's no bad thing. Yes. So, yeah, really nice. Right, are we ready for the next card? Yeah, so this is the second card we have to show everyone. Okay. And um, you're reading this one out, I guess. Yes, I am going to paste it in the 
in the chat. It's already on the Facebook page. Okay, Here we go. this is a sharpshooter. Mm-hmm. It's a two cost, three experience asset, and it has a combat and an agility pip. And it's a talent. Everyone loves a talent. One of did our a whole episode on talent. Yeah, we did. Uh, and it says reaction when you use a fight ability on a firearm asset, exhaust sharpshooter. Choose one or both. This attack uses agility instead of combat. All modifiers to your combat for this attack modify your agility instead. Or use the attacked enemy's evade value for this attack instead of their fight value. Mm. And remember, that's so both. I, I, when I first read it, I was like, oh, these two things, you probably get plus one, at least plus one of, over the two of those. But no, you can pick both. Mm-hmm. It's good, Super I think. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's insane. I don't even know really where to begin. So what? My first guess is, this This is coming from Winifred's deck. So we've been sent this from her deck. I am guessing that there might be a lower level version of this as well in her deck that yes. maybe makes you choose one, or maybe yes. the abilities it has aren't as good. Maybe it costs a bit more or something like this. This feels like a really powerful upgrade card, and I can imagine as the Winifred player you being like, oh yeah, I really want this. It supports some of those juicy firearms we've seen in the Winifred deck as well. So that's really cool. Um, But as I'm seeing people shout in the chat, this is Bananas and Skids repeatedly. So we've got Skids who has Agility 4 and only Combat 3. We've got Seth who has Agility 4 and Combat 2. I think they're the big two. Am I forgetting someone obvious who has high? Oh, Finn. Combat 3, Agility 4 as well. So all three of them might like to use their agility instead of their combat. And for Winnie as well, she has Agility 5 and Combat 3. So that first bullet, this attack uses agility instead of combat, is giving any of them a plus one or plus two, which is pretty cool. Yes. So we we had a quick look at all of the fire... Uh, sorry, not the firearms, at the enemies... Mm. And my gut feel was that you don't see a huge number of enemies which have a very high value for their fight and their evade. Mm. Um, And I'm sure someone could do a a more detailed analysis of this. Card Game DB, I know, has a search. I don't know whether you can do it in Arkham DB. I think you can. I think you can. I'm not sure of the terms. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I think that first clause is if, if your enemy doesn't have a high fight value, then you're already good. If it has a high fight, then usually it doesn't have a f- high evade as well. There are some, mm. some enemies that are like 4-4. Yeah. And they tend to be like the kind of boss enemies and stuff like that. So mm. typically you're going to get plus one, I I would say. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I like is that the first one, um, it's kind of sneaky. All modifiers <laughs> to combat for your for this attack, apply to your agility instead. Mm. So if you've got, as an example, if you've got Delilah, yep. Delilah gives you plus one combat and plus one agility, right? Mm-hmm. She's giving you basically plus two agility with this card. Mm. Because she's yeah. your agility is already one higher, and then the combat boost applies to your agility instead. It's another thing that I think there's a really cool combat rogue um, to be built. Mm, um, I think so too. Using using this and then stuff like like the kind of slippy, slidey thing. I think it, it's you can do this build in skids. And I keep meaning mm. to try it, 
Mr. Um, Slips. Mr. Slips, yeah. Um, And maybe lean more into that original style of skids, which everyone tried to do in the beginning. (laughs) I I mean, there's just... I've nodded along to everything you've said there, and there's just so much going on with this card. Because exactly as you say, there's all of these baked-in boosts. You've also got a choice. We like choice. You've also, like, you don't have to... You can do both as well. So you come up against... uh, a five fight, one evade enemy and get to use your agility instead of your combat, you can switch those things around. And when you're talking about like a really good fighty rogue, obviously our first thought goes to Tony, but you're never going to want to use two agility instead of five combat. But you don't have to with this card. You just ignore the first point that you can use agility instead of combat and just keep to using the second point, the evade value, which is really nice as well. And then I think we've got to include the fact that this is in a deck for someone who really wants to succeed by X. And this gives you two new ways of trying to get yourself as high above the threshold as possible. So some of those really tricky tests. I was actually thinking about this earlier today. The number of times in skids I've tried to double or nothing an enemy and thought, but it's going to make their fight a six or an eight. And that's just too hard. But if their evade is, say, a two, double or nothing that to a four is way more manageable to do loads of damage against it. And it starts, yeah, it gets me really excited about a double or nothing deck again with Sharpshooter as just a really useful way of giving me boosts and also toggling how difficult tests are. So yeah, it's really cool. Really good fun. I like it a lot. Really good, yeah. Any particular firearms that are really good? I've actually got one in mind as well. On, it's one me. I've not yet played with. The Sawn-Off Shotgun that's coming out oh, in Weaver yeah. of the Cosmos. Yeah, 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 yeah. Doesn't have a combat boost on it. Yeah. So obviously great opportunity for high damage, but you need other ways of boosting. Yes. But what if you could, rather than having a boost, what if you could use sharpshooter <laughs> Sharp and just... with your sawn-off shotgun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> yeah. drop the difficulty of the test by two because you're going for their evade rather than their fight. Yeah. And that, that that's your boost at that point. That, to me, feels really cheeky in a delightful way. There's a few other of the rogue, ve- uh, rogue weapons sorry, that you can stack a load of um, uh, modifiers into one check, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's the someone in the, in our chat is suggesting the Thompson or the typewriter. Yeah, both good. Yes, yeah, so, I think. Yeah, Thompson. If you succeed by X, you can hit another enemy as well. So that you might want to drop the difficulty of a test. You then you've got two enemies near you, and you're picking which one to target. And the typewriter, you can obviously spend actions for more boosts. I've used typewriter skids as well, and that's good. But similarly, like you end up pumping in loads of actions to get his combat to a point where it feels safe for the test whereas i think this will probably save you many actions in the long run by this i mean sharpshooter so yeah absolutely i think it's a really cool card yeah it looks really really good fun um great we don't have any more at the moment right no we don't have any more i think it hints really nicely at a possible upgrade path for winnie which is that you make her into a fighter and she's a kind of tricksy fighter who's using her agility to fight instead of her combat. And maybe if Winnie was just coming out in a deluxe, we'd be looking at putting in backstab, sneak attack, all of the agility-related uh, rogue damage events. But 
because she's coming out in a starter deck and needs to be a standalone product, maybe she doesn't have those events. So instead, she's got this really cool way of riffing on firearms. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Maybe. I think we've got time for a final question. Oh, by the way, when uh, I, I did take my earphones out when you were they were asking you the questions. Mm. So that's going to be a fun so you didn't treat. Hear. No, I didn't. Okay. So it'd be a fun yeah. treat to yeah. listen b- back to that. Yeah, Doovies mentions in the chat, even Streetwise Jenny with Sharpshooter, you've got a way of boosting agility then. Streetwise already is an incredible card, but when you can also use it for all your fighting because you can turn into agility attacks rather than combat attacks. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I can almost see getting two Sharpshooters then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Get them both down. Yeah, do we have any other questions in the chat? I think everyone's just reeling in surprise at how good <laughs> Sharpshooter is, which is as expected. Oh, several people are typing. Yes, people. perfect, perfect. <laughs> oh, pancakes or waffles? Um, probably pancakes for me, Peter. Oh, you know what? Uh, I do like a waffle. But what I really like, and I haven't had in ages, are potato waffles. Oh, they're waffly versatile. They're inc- yeah, absolutely so. Very waffly. Um, I used to <laughs> was when I went to uni. I got a, um, a, a like a student cookbook, and one of the meals mm. in there told you how to make it was it was a, a potato waffle with lettuce, mayonnaise, cheese, and a fried egg. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit complicated recipe as you can imagine, but I, I ate them like most nights. <laughs> I think you told me that before. <laughs> I can't have so, yeah. not. And still, yeah, I think it was on the way back to our hotel um, <laughs> at the expo. <laughs> um, Asasani asks, what are you hoping for from Innsmouth Conspiracy? Ooh, saucy. Or what are you most hoping for from Innsmouth Conspiracy? Um, paranoia. There you go. That's, that's mm. a one-word answer. You really want that con- conspiracy element, don't you? Yes, it. I like that. We've speculated about when we think it's going to be set, mm-hmm. right? We think it yeah. might be what in this kind of cleanup afterwards. So the the mm-hmm. aftermath of the original story. Yeah, because he talks about at the beginning of that. He talks about how this the 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 American what is it the FBI have torpedoed the 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 reef. Yeah, the feds and then they, they raid and, yeah. all the buildings. Um, so that would be good. I think I'd like. Um, some element of building in the Innsmouth look would be quite cool. Mm. Yeah. Whether you've got a chance of turning into a deep one at some point. Mm. That was always I mean, kind of like a constant source of fear. Having in, in, in the second edition card in tabletop games, sorry, not card game, there was a deck of cards you had to draw from uh, after certain effects, and there was like one Innsmouth look card in there. And every time you drew cards, it was like getting more and more tense as when you were going to draw the one that turned you into a deep one. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I like that. I like that very much. How about I you? think for me, conspiracy conjures up as well thoughts of maybe warring factions or different factions to side with or maybe maybe unpiecing the threads of who's working for whom and how are they doing it. And I know that we've obviously had in Circle Undone, Witches versus Lodge and in forgotten age Ichtaka and alejandro so we have had sort of two antagonists or protect whatever they are you know it's vague spoilers there um we've had those kinds of things before but 
I still think there's maybe space for it. Maybe if there's something in the campaign log where you're collecting tally marks for how much a faction trusts you or how much of their story you've explored. And maybe there'll be multiple scenarios where if you go pursuing what the feds are up to, you don't get to see what the Innsmouthers are up to or whatever that is. Some, something like that that could really get you drawn into the conspiracy element of it. So yeah, let's do... Should we do one more? Because we're uh, at, yeah, well, at about I mean, the end I've of our time. Yeah, I've got time for a couple more if they're quick ones. Okay, well, you choose one and then I'll, well, I'll do one. John has asked, do we do we think that having manual dexterity in his deck means we'll see other upgraded skills? And do you think it means we'll see manual dexterity zero in her deck? Now, I think John just wants extra copies of the neutral skill cards. <laughs> quite just why he's asking. Quite <laughs> yeah. It feels like it would be a really sweet thing to do to have upgraded faction-specific ones uh, versions of all of the neutral skill cards. It would be quite strange if they decided to do an upgrade of one and not the others. But Man, you know, it was so weird. When I saw manual dexterity 2, my brain mm. just didn't process it was rogue. <laughs> yeah, I'm so used to seeing it as a neutral card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, quite possibly. Um, and maybe finally, here, what is the deck campaign you're planning for next? Oof, yeah, you answer that first because you, you've always yeah. got several things brewing, haven't you? I do. Yeah. So I've recorded the final episode of Norman versus the Circle Undone. I just need to edit it and get it out. So that'll be out for listeners soon. So that means I'm turning my attention to the next live play. I've got a couple of ideas of things to do in the interim. Uh, I've been talking quite a lot about an Ursula deck, and I'm thinking about maybe just recording a standalone with that to show that deck off. It goes very quickly, so it'll be like a 20-minute episode of it just destroying a scenario. Famous last words. Now that I've said that on recording, it's definitely not going to happen. Oh, well. <laughs> um, and then I'm thinking about Dream Eaters as well, and I've been thinking I've played quite a lot of mystic-y, seeker-y things recently, so thinking about blue and red as the colours, Guardian and Survivor, I think, but I haven't really settled on something yet. So I want to... I was thinking maybe Leo... Leo Anderson on the cast. Oh, that's and yeah, yeah. That Leo could be through fun, Dream yeah, Eaters yeah. could be fun, but I've not, I've not settled on that yet. How about you, Peter? Are we going to do a campaign together? Oh, we should do, shouldn't we? Um, hmm. I don't know what. Um, it's a sh- shame I, we don't really like each other. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, I I have some new players who I want to uh, take through the corset campaign. Mm. So I'm sort of planning for that on Tabletop Simulator. Um, that's obviously with the core set investigators. Um, yeah. I do fancy... I, I've got, So I built those four sort of introductory decks a while ago, but I never built a skids deck. Mm. And it's always been on my list of things to do, to, to think what a, what a nice introductory skids deck would be. Um, mm. But I've got a feeling that might fire me up for playing skids again. That, I mean, that's basically what happened last time you built a skid stack. You just then played a load of skids and yeah. finished the skid stack. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, I'm not. I'm not really sure. It, I haven't done Dunwich in in quite a while, mm. so it might be nice to take another pop at that. Um, I'd maybe like to take someone kind of wild and out there from the Dream Eaters, like a Luke or a Patrice through Dunwich. That might be quite good fun. Mm, that'd be fun. Yeah. 
I would really like to do re the return to campaigns with that thing where you shuffle up each encounter set and you don't know how many you've got of them in the deck. So, you know, where you have ancient evils and resurgent evils, you shuffle all six cards together and add three to the deck, but you don't know how many are resurgent and how many are ancient. Oh, that sounds horrible. Uh, and the same with, you know, cultist sets. You shuffle up the six dark cult from the core set and then the six whatever the new cults are and shuffle those in so that you don't you can't quite tell what you're dealing with i think that could be really fun so yeah if you want to do that with me so and uh, jp's in the chat has just pointed out that beyond the veil is in dunwich so maybe patrice isn't the best best choice yeah for that. She, she can take alter fate yeah exactly yeah um intestine will obviously a ward of protection. Yeah. Just pack your deck with nothing but cancellation cards. Cancellation's good. Yeah. So you've got one in every hand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perfectly divided up. Cool. Well, I think we're coming to the end of the cast. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Peter? No, this was this was fun. Um I hope everyone felt involved enough. Um I hope people who weren't listening live also don't feel like it's 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 been a waste of time. Um it was it was good fun. It was it's kind of a weird experience feeling the weight of people listening to what you're saying, <laughs> um, as I, as I hinted at at the top of top of the show. Yeah, all of those rude comments. It's really difficult. I know, I know. Just again. trying to block out all the death threats. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's <went> dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, if you're listening live, you can give us feedback after this, or if you're. I'm just laughing now because there's a new patron who I think is my wife who's just turned up to troll me with a gif. And if you're listening to this after the fact and you want to give us feedback on this as well, please do. You can reach us on drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on Twitter and Facebook. We're drawn to the flame on Patreon. And we're also drawn to the flame on Design by Humans. I'm wearing my drawn to the flame t-shirt, Peter. Are you wearing yours? Uh, let's oh no, yes. this is I shouldn't ask you that because then you reveal you're not wearing anything. You ruin the whole vibe for everyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was wearing my Mythos Busters t-shirt all along. <laughs> no. <laughs> cool. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Cheers. Cheers.